This week I am chatting to Louise McSharry and honestly I've never had a proper conversation with her before. Superficially I knew a few things about her life and career but my god she has lived some life for a girl who's only 35 years old. Um, she is a real diamond of a person. Um, she's really honest, really frank and what I love about our chat is that she said a lot of things in such an articulate way that really I wish I could have expressed when I was a new mum in the early days. Um, so I think this one is going to be really helpful to a lot of people listening. So here is Louise McSharry. Louise McSharry, oh my God, you have packed so much into your 35 years. I'm so thrilled to get to talk to you because I think the last time I met you, was it at the Irish Tatler yeah. Women of the Year Awards? And we had a brief chat about what you're wearing, but I've never had a proper... Well, you were very busy. You had a job to do. You had many people to talk to about what they were wearing. And yes. other important I mean, things. it's a prescient Sorry, that sounded issue. like I didn't think it was important, but I actually genuinely think it is important, especially at awards shows, because I want to know every detail. Yeah. Like 100%. Yeah. But yes, no, we didn't have long to talk. We didn't have long to talk, so let's have a proper good chat today. Um... I nearly want to ask you about your life story from the beginning because it's so interesting. But let's start at who you were and where you were at in your life when you became a mom. Okay, yeah. Um, so it, just for context, um, I got pregnant with my son, Sam, um, a few months after being told that I probably wouldn't be able to get pregnant um, because I had had chemotherapy for cancer. Uh, so after I finished my chemo, my husband and I decided, well, he wasn't my husband at the time, he was my fiance. We decided that we would go and get some fertility testing just to find out kind of what the playing field was. Mm -hmm. Really, we wanted to kind of go on a session for a couple of years. We'd had a rough couple of years and we Aww. wanted to have some fun and do some travel and that kind of stuff. Um, but the results were really uh, poor and they said, basically, it's unlikely that you'll get pregnant naturally, but go away, try spend a year trying and then come back to us and we'll look at other options. And tell me, before you start, so it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. That Hodgkin's lymphoma, yeah. And uh, what kind of cancer is that? Like, who it's does a it blood typically, cancer. okay. Yeah, and it mostly affects younger people. So it's a young cancer, it's a blood cancer, but it's also a curable cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, you're only allowed to say this if you are a cancer doctor or if you've had cancer, but it is probably one of the best cancers that you can have because mm. I, for example, I was quite sick by the time I was diagnosed. I had stage three, which would be wow. very serious in another kind of cancer. Yeah. But for me, it, it even if you're stage four with Hodgkin's, most of the time they can pull it back and you can be cured. So when I was diagnosed, they said there's an 85% chance that if you do your chemo at the end of it, you'll be cured. And what were the red flags? Like, what were you feeling like um, at that so time? So I had been going to the doctor for, like, regularly for my mystery illness, as I called it, for six months before I was diagnosed. Um, so what made me go to the doctor was that um, I, I, had a, I had had my appendix out in the December and then in March... I was having night sweats, so I was waking up in the night really sweaty, like having to change my, my pajamas and stuff like that, it was really unpleasant. And also my period had not come back after my appendectomy. Oh. So I thought, oh, I have early menopause, that's what's oh, happening gosh. here, because I look sweats, that's menopause, yeah. and no period, that's menopause, it's gotta be. So I went to the doctor and she I'm said, sorry, oh. what age are we at this stage? I was 32. All right, wow, okay. Um, yeah, so the doctor kind of was like, I don't think that's what it is. Well, like, let's do some blood tests. Let's measure your hormones, you know, yada, yada. So there was something wrong. Like I had really elevated protein um, in my blood and my blood just wasn't, was reading kind of strange. Like I remember she said it didn't make sense. So mm. she took another blood test to, to double check it because she thought there might've been a mistake in the lab. Um, but that came back the same. So then she referred me to consultants and then I was in 
initially um god I can't even remember what department I was in initially but then they referred me to infectious diseases because they thought maybe I had an infection from my appendectomy which had flared oh. up so it, there were loads of red herrings along yeah. the way so it took a really long time for me to actually get my diagnosis and then I was getting sicker and sicker the whole time so by the time I was actually diagnosed I had completely lost my appetite I'd lost a lot of weight I was trying to lose weight at the time anyway and um, so I didn't really put two and two together there but I had lost I mean I'm not someone who ever turns my nose up at food and I just had no interest in it at all I you know I was taking a few bites out of every meal and then just kind of shoving it away um, and I was tired. I was really tired. I was tired all the and time. And before they put you on your treatment plan, say, did they recommend like freezing your eggs or anything like that? Or was that even a conversation that you have at that early age? Um, they kind of said, we don't have time wow. for you to do that. We need to get you started ASAP. So it, like I was diagnosed one week, I started chemo the following week. Um, and I went to a lecture picnic in between. <laughs> That was a bad decision. Um, with <laughs> oh hindsight, that was not a good decision. Um, but yeah, so there, there, there just wasn't time. Now, what they did give me was an injection. Um, I can't remember the name of it now. It's so funny these things that are so important to you at the time, yeah. and then they just go out of your head. But they gave me an injection, and the as an endocrinologist told me, the theory is that your your ovaries kind of go into hiding for the duration of your chemo, and then hopefully when they come out of hiding, you've still got your eggs. Um, and the endocrinologist said, yeah, you know, there's some evidence that it works. Oh, <laughs> I was man. like, great. Oh, That's man. so comforting. And before this all kicked off for you, had family been like something you wanted to do? Was it like, did you see yourself as going to be a mom? Yeah, I always wanted to be a mom. Okay. Um, I think because my own family situation wasn't very straightforward growing up. I think, you know anybody who's taken like anybody actually who's watched a psychological drama could probably you know understand that I had a craving to kind of create my own family that wasn't you know the kind of family that I grew up in that sounds worse than I mean it to but so you know something uncomplicated and straightforward yeah because I, I my my own mother was an alcoholic and I stopped living with her when I was seven so um I didn't have that direct kind of blood relationship and I think I definitely wanted that that's why, you know, the thing with the fertility was, you know, obviously we could have adopted and that was definitely something that we would have considered. Um, but I really wanted to, to experience, you know, pregnancy and having my own baby and having that relationship. Oh my God, in your my life. just <laughs> fallen into your cup of tea. You right. wouldn't have been able to do that if you had tried. I know. They're lovely earrings Thank as well. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be even nicer with the caffeine on them. It's fine. So you, did you live with your auntie and uncle then as a kid with your brother? Yeah, yeah. So my brother and I moved in with my aunt and uncle when I was seven. Um, and they're now my parents. If I talk about my parents, that's who I'm talking about. Yeah. They, um, they were, uh, they adopted us formally a year after they, they kind of got temporary custody of us. So wow. um, what was life yeah. like with them? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it wasn't easy. They mm. they were 27 and 28 and they had two kids overnight and they wanted to do right by us and that meant that they were like extremely strict um, because they felt like that was the best way to kind of deal with us. And or, had you had routine in your life up to then? Um, we had, but you know, my bio mom, as I call her, like her, her approach to parenting was very different to theirs. Um, she was extremely affectionate and demonstrative and like... Um, you know, I always say she was, when she was good, she was really, really good. And when she was mm. bad, she was horrid. Mm. She also had bipolar disorder. So oh, wow. she, uh, which wasn't diagnosed until like 15 years later. So she wow. really swung from, you know, the most amazing happy times, like best mom in the world to, 
you know, not getting out of bed or like, you know, my grandparents having to be called because, you know, she's passed out in a pub and we're there with her. So it was real um, extremes all the time. So it was much more consistent with my, my aunt and uncle, but it was very different to what I was used to. So it was tough. It was a tough adjustment. Yeah. And um, were you maternal towards your younger brother? Um, you still at such a kid yourself? Yeah, no, I was. I very much was. Um, I mean, I think the saddest thing about it all is that I really, I was a kid, but I wasn't. You mm. know, like by the time I was taken away from, or by the time my mom gave us up, uh, like I'd already, I'd been pouring her drink down the sink for two years. I'd been oh. lying for her. I would, she would have me hide booze in people's houses in the cistern of the toilet. Like, you know, I knew, I knew the story. Um, so I was a kid, but I wasn't a kid so yes I definitely definitely felt protective and maternal toward my brother um but then uh that I think as the, the years went on we kind of reverted back to a much more yeah. standard brother sister relationship how did your mom fare without you guys without caring for you on a day-to-day basis um she was very up and down again see she, she was bipolar still she still mm. had bipolar disorder um and she uh, had good times where she would be very much on the straight and narrow. And she, you know, for example, she had a, a job in a cafe near us for a while, for a few years. And well, it, it feels like a few years. It could have been a year. It could have been six months. But yeah. in my head, it was like a, a long, sustained mm. period of time when she was doing really well. And Jer, my, my, who I would call my mom now, my aunt, like made a great effort to take us there so that we would see her. But then, you know, she'd go off the rails and just be gone. Um, and she... To be honest, it ended up very bleakly for her um, because she ended up homeless and then um, she was really badly beaten. So she was became a wheelchair user and uh, she actually died uh, two years ago this month um, of lung cancer. But before she died, she became sober and she went back to college and she got a PhD and, you know, she created a different life oh for herself. God. So. And she she knew you were pregnant at the time of her death, did she? She did, yeah, she did. Um, it was kind of funny because she got sick um and we it was kind of meant to be she, she was she was going we got the phone call that we all needed to go to chicago where she was still living so we flew over and uh then she really rallied when we all got there mm. i think um you know her relationships with the family were kind of complicated as you know you might imagine mm-hmm. so i think seeing maybe some people there like my brother went for example which my brother hadn't had very much contact with her at all in the interim years so i think that kind of thing gave her a lift and so she she ended up living for another five months but while wow. we were there she was asking me about having kids and I actually got really annoyed at her because uh, it was still a very sore point for me because mm. I had had this diagnosis of poor fertility um, and I just thought don't have like don't start that conversation with me like there's no point we you know you know the story of course there's nothing going on um, but then I got home and I found out the day after we got home from Chicago that I was pregnant. So I was pregnant there having that conversation with her. Wow. And I just didn't know. So I rang her to tell her. Um, and then, yeah, actually the day she died, I think I was five months pregnant, four or five months pregnant, and I wow. felt some, well, I would have been five months, felt some move for the first time that day. Yeah, it was mad. There's lots of kind of parallels. It is freaky. Um, what was being pregnant like for you? How did, did you like it? Um, 
I, it is hard for me to say because I feel like my memory of it is not necessarily accurate. Uh, I think, you know, that weird thing happens to women where the further away from your pregnancy you get, the more you're like, it was fine. <laughs> what? <know>. Perfect. Um, <laughs> largely though, I think it was. I mean, I didn't have any morning sickness or nausea, which I was really lucky. Um, I, was it fairly standard then considering yeah. what you've been through? Yeah. Like what your oh, body yeah, yeah. been through? It was very Isn't straightforward. your body amazing that yeah. it healed itself? Well, obviously with help. Yes. And then it like, yeah. can see, you guys conceive this baby. You must have yeah. been like, my body bloody rocks. Yeah, 100%. It was a real, like, to be honest, the cancer experience changed my perspective on my body pretty significantly. But then, yeah, because the pregnancy was so straightforward, um, you know, really there were no complications aside from Sam being overdue. And then I had to have a, an induction and that was a bit of a nightmare. But like... There was no different care that you no, got. No, nothing. And tell me just to, to flip back to, how did your relationship with your body change having gone through cancer? Well, I think like lots of women, I had never really considered all the things that our bodies do for us every day. Um, you know, and I think it's only when you're faced with your body potentially not being able to do those things anymore. Um, or for me, it was after I got through chemo and I had a really straightforward experience with chemo. And I, you know, and for me, chemo meant going in and sitting for the majority of, they, it's slightly changed now, but for the majority of the time that I was getting chemo, I was in a room with one or two other women, largely women, occasionally a man. And, um, you know, everybody had was having different chemo and had a different kind of cancer and was having a different kind of cancer experience as every cancer is different. Um, and I would be kind of faced with these people who were having a much harder time than me, you know, like I walked to chemo every, every fortnight. Um, but there were, you know, one day there was a woman there who couldn't walk to the toilet on her own because her lungs are being so badly affected by her chemo. So that kind of thing makes you go, why am I complaining about what my body looks like? Or, mm. you know, the way certain clothes look on my body or why why is why is that what I'm thinking about when I think about my body and you know not the fact that my body's actually playing a blinder it has played a blinder thus far like even I was working the week I was diagnosed like I was covering for Ryan Tuberty doing mid-morning on 2FM and I only stopped because I was hospitalized like you know and my body kept me going through all of that um and then through chemo and then subsequently through pregnancy so yeah it's I do think it's an amazing thing and I and, and I kind of don't really shut up about it because you know it's not only is it you know I think important to have that perspective but also it's incredibly freeing mm. once you can connect with that you know because we're fed so many toxic messages about our bodies as women about what they're meant to be um about what they're meant to look like and none of that is about our body's actual purpose or mm. what it's doing every day mm. that we're just not even aware of. I mean, what our bodies are doing right now as we're speaking to each other, you know, especially yeah. your body because you're growing a baby in there. <laughs> yeah. Your baby's, your body's working double time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and not that obviously I don't have uh, an experience of having um, survived cancer, Jesus, but I definitely felt like I cut myself a break after I got pregnant. Yeah. I was like... I can't believe I used to shout on about stretch marks on my thighs or this or that. Like, yeah. I really felt like, oh my God, look what it's done. And then when when the, when the baby came out, I was like, my baby knew to kind of expel it at the right time, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then, See, and then my I body did not know that. But that's <laughs> See, some got too cozy. Some got yeah. too cozy. Okay, so I would me. still be pregnant. <laughs> Truly, I would still be pregnant, I think, if they had not, if medical, medical professionals had not gotten involved. What did you make of those first early weeks? You know, bringing baby home, what was it like? Oh, I found it really hard. Um, I found it really, really hard. And I'd quite like to do it again just to do that bit over um, because um, we had loads of complications with breastfeeding. Ugh. 
And I was so determined to do it. I was obsessed. I mean, unhealthily obsessed. Okay, Um, so I think I went a bit this way, as in prepping even before baby was there. That's what I was doing. I was reading everything. I was going to workshops. No, no. Where were you at? I I just thought it was going to (laughs) happen. Okay. No. Are you kidding me? No, I was like, this is going to be fine. I'm going to have my baby. I've seen the videos where the baby crawls up the mother to the breast and just starts feeding. Like, it's going to be really straightforward. Yeah, no problem. And I also had this idea, which now I curse myself for ever thinking that if it didn't work, it was because you weren't trying hard enough. Oh, it's awful. And I was so wrong about that. Um, because and, when, and you'd hear from another mom be like if only she tried harder yeah. she probably would have got there in the end I know it's a disgusting yeah. thing to think yeah. now isn't it looking that, back but I, I absolutely thought that mm. I was really judgmental about it and um, you know what what actually ended up happening was Sam had um, because he was so overdue he had like how a, overdue a, was he? 14 days well, it, was, it was more than 14 in the end because it was oh. I think it was 16 in the end because of um, like I went in when he was 14 days over and then yeah anyway Tough. yeah it was tough it was tough um but he because he was so overdue he had like a really minor lung issue which meant that he was in the neonatal unit for a couple of days it completely solved itself he just needed increased oxygen um initially but that meant that i didn't have him oh. so i didn't we didn't really get to hold him until the day after he was born um and i that meant that i was up in my hospital bed kind of with a tiny little syringe trying to uh, draw out colostrum from my breast trying to get my milk going um you know while he was in another part of the hospital then by the time I got him he had been given a bottle um and he just didn't want to feed at all and then I think my nipples just didn't cooperate and I had lactation consultants and you know how your body just isn't your own in that situation so you've got like 17 different women around you just literally I mean just milking you really is what's happening (laughs) all hands on others and you're like okay I guess this is just what's happening and I'm gonna go with this but I actually genuinely didn't care because I wanted so badly for it to work um, but then uh, got home, still was trying, managed to get it going with nipple shields eventually. Um, but then he wasn't really feeding efficiently, so it was constant. I just drove myself completely nuts. So I did it for six weeks, and then I expressed until he was four months old. And then, wow. um, so we combination fed between six six weeks and four months. That's a great result. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, looking back, I... I I just wish I had let it go much sooner. And I don't mean given up, but I just mean forgiven myself. I gave myself such a hard time and I obsessed over it so much that it really had a negative effect on those kind of first six weeks. In terms of like enjoying it or bonding with him or just feeling like you're failing on it or how? Okay. All of it. Like it's hard. I, I like the reason that I decided to express it six weeks was because I found myself getting annoyed at him. And I was like, I can't be annoyed at this tiny baby over this. Like, that is too much now, Louise. Like, you need to, this, you know, I don't know if it was an ego thing or what it was. I just so badly, I mean, I do believe breast is best. But I don't believe that breast is best if it compromises your relationship with your child or your own mental health or, you know, loads of other things. So I think every, every mother has to assess themselves in their situation what's going to work for them and their family that is such an important message and I think as well when you've come from a busy job where it's gone well as it has in your case 
you're going, why am I good at this? Like, I haven't struggled with anything like this before. Yeah. You know that way, and it's it's just not working. And that actually did take me down a bit of a negative path uh, mm. with my body, which I hadn't had for yeah. a while, because yeah. I was like, oh, well, if my breasts were smaller, this would be easier, because the maneuver would be easier, and... You know, that you just breast size does not. I know. It makes no difference. It's crazy. I know because since then, you know, I've seen women with much bigger breasts than me breastfeeding. It just, it just didn't. You know, for whatever reason, it just didn't work the way that I wanted it to. And how did he get on? Did he thrive anyway? Yeah. yeah good. Oh good. my god. Yeah, he's a bruiser. He's good. a giant child. He's nineteen months, and everybody thinks he's two and a half. Like he's, a, <laughs> he's a big boy, and there was never any issue there. Never. Um. It, so yeah, I just, yeah, I, w- I wish I'd just been a little bit kinder to myself, really. Totally. There's like, and I just remember Googling everything constantly, like all day and all night. Mm. I was like, how did people parent before Google? I what know. did they do? They probably talk to each other. Yeah, well, this is it. We're <laughs> stuck alone in our houses. As my mother yeah. says that, you know too much. Um, And in terms of loving him, did it come instantly? Did it take a while? I know what my, my sister said to me. Oh, Karen, that rush of love you feel, the first second the baby pops out, and I was like, please don't say that to me, because if I don't feel that, yeah. I'm going to feel there's something wrong. And actually, it took me probably a little while to kind yeah. I felt relief was my first thing. It was like, thank God he's here, and like yeah. I got him here. Yeah. And now everyone can kind of help me take over and mind him, you know? Yeah. So how did you bond initially? What was Well, again, it was kind of complicated for us, because I my my like delivery had been well once I started pushing it was only about I think an hour um but getting to pushing was like 47 hours of uh, induction and um you know the gel and the pessary and pitocin and um you know really excruciating pain um and vomiting and you know the whole thing like everything it just and and then also they were concerned about his heartbeat so um, I was on a trace the whole time, which meant that I couldn't, They, I wasn't allowed to move. So I had to lie flat on my back, which is literally the worst position you can be in when it comes to contractions. Um, I just felt, yeah, I had, I had a rough, a you rough did a go rough there. Time. Yeah. yeah. And then, so when he was out, I felt like, oh, thank, yeah, thank God he's out. Um, and they put him kind of up on me as they do on my tummy. Um, but then only for about, 10 seconds because they were concerned about him and so they took him straight over to the kind of you know inspection corner or whatever Mm. and there there was a a pediatrician there ready for him Um, and they worked on him there for about 40 minutes and then they got a reg down and they brought him up to the neonatal unit so I only got to see him for like eight seconds and you know he was like a (sighs) blood covered yeah, no, alien purple <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. yeah he didn't look like a baby really I yeah. remember just being like whoa what? yeah and this I, is some yeah, this is so weird but also I was you know I just had a baby so I was kind oh, of high on shop. life I and know. like slightly deranged and my husband was really upset because he didn't get to you know he had this image and he'd been through the two days as well and he was dying to do his skin to skin and yeah. you know have his time with his son and um and he didn't get to do any of that so he was really upset but I was like he's fine he's gonna be fine I just knew he was gonna be fine I, I said you know don't worry about it everything's fine he's fine um and so Sam went up to the neonatal unit and I sent Gordon home because I was like I'm exhausted so I'm just gonna go to sleep you should go mm. home you're exhausted too mm. and um I woke up after about an hour and a half and another couple had come into the ward I was public in the rotunda um and another couple had come into the ward and they they were sitting opposite me and the curtains were open and she was holding the baby and she said to him, I can't, 
I cannot believe how quick that was. Do you know what time, what time is it now? 10 past 10? What time did we come in here? Half eight? And the husband was like, yeah, I know. Like, I mean, geez, that was so fast. And they're there with their baby. And then a midwife came in and took them off. We have a private room available for you now. And off they went. And I was just like, (laughs) and then I lost it. I absolutely lost it. I was like, I don't even know what my baby looks like. And I, because I couldn't picture him because I didn't have a picture. And I, I was like, I don't know where he is. I don't know where in the hospital he is. I had an epidural, so I'm not allowed to stand up on my own. But they've told me I have to go to the toilet, you know, because they really get yeah. that into your head. You have to go to the toilet. So I was like, uh, and um, I'm I'm like really independent and I have a really hard time asking people for help. But it was the one time my brain was just like, ring Gordon, ring him. Like if there's ever a time that you can ring someone and say, I need you, now is the time. So I rang him and he was like, I just got into bed. But but he got up and came back and then we got a, a porter to take us up to the neonatal unit and we saw him and then that was great. So um, you know, it was it it wasn't that straightaway thing because no. it was really complicated and I didn't have that lovely moment of, you know, sitting in the bed with him in my arms. You know, I the first time I held him properly was in the neonatal unit on a chair sitting beside the incubator where he was you know spending his time and then that's where I tried to breastfeed too for the first time with other parents and you know midwives and you know very loads of stuff going on um and midwives are amazing don't get me wrong but like you know what none of it was what I'd pictured so I I think that kind of threw me off a little bit um and I think to be honest it took me a really long time to properly click in Um, with him I'd say I mean months definitely not Mm -hmm. days like months Um, I had I I found it really hard the adjustment did you did you feel yourself ever getting depressed Mm. yeah definitely and like I would have mentioned to you know going to the public health appointments or whatever going to the GP I definitely said a couple of times I don't feel entirely myself Mm. I don't feel 100% right but it's very hard because I have a tendency to kind of rationalize everything. And I was like, of course you're not delighted. Like, look at your life right now. It's insane. You don't have 10 seconds to yourself. You can't even take a shower. <laughs> like, you know, this, not you know, you're sleeping. killing yourself expressing. You're not sleeping. Mm. Like, you know, it's really, really hard. So of course you're not loving every minute of your life. Like, you know, why would you? So it was hard for me to kind of decipher whether or not I was experiencing postnatal depression or whether or not I was just having a hard time. I still don't know. But I definitely had a really hard time and I definitely wasn't in a good mental place um, for a long time, really. I'd say the first, I said it took me a year to like wow. settle. Yeah. And were you able to have that time with your maternity leave for that full year? No, um, no, I wasn't. Uh, I'm self-employed, like I'm a contractor with RTE, so I, I had to get back to work. So I finished up in work. It ended up being a month before I had Sam because he was so late. Um, and then I went back to work when Sam was four months old, I think. Oh my gosh. So that's earlier than a lot of mums who would have to return to work. Yeah. Yeah. It was soon. It was soon. Um, I would have loved to have taken a little bit longer. Um, but at the same time, I also really wanted to go back to work. You know, there's, yeah. it's, it's hard. I think when you work in our industry, it's really hard because when you're out of it, you feel like things are moving and mm. other people are getting in and, totally. you know, you haven't worked for 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years to, you know, lose ground. Take that career break. Yes. Yeah, see exactly. in five years. Yeah. It's not really an option. No. Well, not for me, you know, mm. and I, like, I, I, I really envy kind of women I know who've taken longer and who've taken a year and feel comfortable doing that and are happy to do that I'd love to be in that headspace but I certainly wasn't 
Um, Did having Sam change your relationship with work or how you viewed it or regarded it in your life? I think I'm much more focused now. Um, and if anything, I'm more driven, I think. Um, I feel like I value my time more now because I have mm. very little of it. So yeah. um, I don't want to waste any time. I feel very much like I want to get shit done, you know? Um, and anything that I was doing work-wise before that I didn't find fulfilling or that I wasn't really enjoying, I kind of, I feel like I'm getting rid of. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly yeah, yeah, but surely. Yeah. Um, I really want to work on things that I find fulfilling because, you know, I don't want to be out of the house doing stuff that I don't enjoy. You know, what's Absolutely. the point of that? If it's going to take you away yeah. from Sam, you need I to mean, justify I mean, unless it. someone wants to pay me like 7 million euro, <laughs> I'll absolutely do loads of things I don't enjoy if you want to pay me enough money, but... Um, and what kind of little boy is Sam? He's 18, 19 months old? He's 19 months. He is uh, what I believe they call a willful child. Um, he, <laughs> he does not ever stop moving. He's full of beans, really friendly, loves Aww. people, like just waves, makes friends with everyone. Everywhere we go, he's making friends. Sometimes people know him that I don't know because his granny has taken him to the shop and he's gotten to know the people who work in the shop. Um, so he's a gas man. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's really tall. Um, yeah, he's great. He's and you great. share pictures of him on social media. I do, yeah. Um, conscious thing, I, I I do it. I don't give it a huge amount of thought. I always go, I hope this doesn't backfire on me. Yeah. What, what's your kind of view on it? Yeah, I kind of feel the same. Um, you know, I talked to my husband a bit about it at the beginning because he's more private than I am, um, significantly more private than I am. But he said he didn't really mind. Um, so initially, I was trying not to do it too much. Um not necessarily out of any kind of desire to protect Sam because you know I don't care about that no I'm joking obviously I care about that but I wasn't it wasn't that wasn't my big concern yeah. but I kind of felt like oh you don't want to dilute your kind of your your you know the you way can say brand see you. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I guess yeah. yeah the way people see you I, yeah. I didn't want to Baby all spam. of a sudden yeah, be totally. you know a mom and that's all people think of me as mm. Now, as time has gone by, that's gone out the window because, you know, at the end of the day, my life is my life and a lot of my life is with him currently. And do you find, though, that that's the stuff that people tend to really react to? Yeah, big time. I mean, on Instagram, for sure. I mean, people are very open about the fact that a lot of people only follow me for Sam. Um, <laughs> I feel like they could maybe keep that to themselves, but they like to tell me and that's fine. But I did like a makeup tutorial. What are you talking about? I'm like, hey, guys. <laughs> over here Uh, no people really love him and recently I got a message from someone and this is this was the best and this isn't why I do it but it's such a nice thing Um, someone who said she goes to visit her mom and her mom is um, elderly and one of the times she was visiting her she showed her a picture of Sam and now every time she goes her mom says how's my wee boy and she wants to see pictures of Sam and she said it's great because it's they have something to talk about when you know when she goes to see her and I showed that to Gordon and Gordon was like oh god that's so nice so um you know that kind of thing is really nice so the idea that he might give someone a lift I I hear that from people a lot that they're kind of having a rough day or whatever and he is gas and like he loves to dance loves music and so there's usually something kind of relatively fun me trying to currently school him out of saying oh shit oh stop getting yeah yeah oh shit and then this week oh foof (laughs) what is that (laughs) where is that coming from um so yeah he's he's a funny kid you know so so yeah i mean do i have my moments where i'm like oh is it great that i'm doing as well like you know yeah but i also think i think that Sometimes people can get really down on parents for sharing pictures and stories of their kids. And I think that's really unfair because 
a lot of people, um, I think particularly mothers, a lot of people spend a huge amount of time with their children. And if they're not supposed to share that, then they're not allowed to share anything of their life, number one. And number two, that can be incredibly isolating. Yeah. And sometimes the only connection that women have outside of their home is through social media. So if they want to post photographs of their kids, let them post photographs of their kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think the judgment, we could all just drop the judgment a little bit and let Agreed. people, you know, do what they do. Agreed. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you're being the type of mom that maybe you wish you'd had or are you do you feel like you know what I didn't have this and I'm I'm really aiming to do this for my little guy now I mean I think about that stuff all the time but I think like any mother I give myself a really hard time as well you know because I'm not you know this idea that when you have a child suddenly you are transformed into a patient and benevolent angel is just bs um, and I'm still the same person I was before. I wasn't very patient before. I'm not very patient now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. wasn't the best at, like, playing games for ages before. I'm not the best at playing games for ages now, you know, so... It's really hard to admit kind of stuff like that, that you find yeah. parts of it boring. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely do. And some mm. days I'm like, I, where is my time? Mm. You know, and some days I really struggle with that, especially with my schedule, because if I have a day where I have Sam for the day... So I'm with Sam all day and he is not, I mean, nonstop. And at the moment he's not really taking naps. Maybe mm. I get one 40 minute nap. So really until I go to work, there is no break. And then I go to work and work is kind of a break. Yeah. And then I get home at half 10 and I go to bed and it starts again the next day. So it is relentless sometimes and it does feel relentless. And that doesn't mean I resent him, but it does mean that sometimes it's hard and sometimes patience runs thin and sometimes I'm not so excited about going to the playground again you know just because we need to get out of the house just because I need time to pass and there are days where it really feels like that but then I beat myself up about that and I'm like oh that's not the right attitude and like you should be loving every minute of this but the, I just think the truth is there are a very small percentage of mothers and parents who love every minute of it and who feel like it was what they were born to do and that is amazing and great and I envy that but I think that the vast majority of people are struggling at times because it's really, really, really bloody hard. Yeah. And you're not transformed overnight by giving birth. You know, you still are the same person and you have to try and evolve and grow and, and learn how to be the best mother you can be in the context of your family and your situation. That's such a good view. And, you know, I and the the part of me that's like, don't complain about this. Think how lucky you are. Think of the people who would mm -hmm. kill right now to be up at 3 a.m. doing a night feed. You can't yeah. conceive you're this. And then you feel guilty yeah. for that. But then I think there's sort of a movement now to actually just show that it's warts and all, you know, yeah. and the kind of it's not just so perfect Instagram, you know, yeah. I certainly see it with a lot of the bloggers in the UK and they're like, actually, there are shitty days. Yeah. I and think I think that's healthy. Like, I totally agree. You can't be, you know, going how wonderful it is. And like, it's amazing to have healthy children. But yeah. it's you're still you. You're still going to find it hard. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I definitely initially felt like, I felt that a lot because you know maybe I wasn't going to be able to have a child and now I have this child and I'm complaining about it yeah. but I think it's important to acknowledge our feelings across the board um I really believe I go on about this all the time but I really believe that shared experience is like the most powerful currency we have as people and you know if you're in a position to share your experience and you feel comfortable doing that then you should do it because it's really valuable for other people to hear and it's and you don't know what you're going to get out of it either like you know I'm very straightforward straightforward and direct about you know how I feel on any given day and it's great for me because I hear from other people who are feeling the same way and that's really comforting and, and I hope that I then return the favor um 
you know not everybody's comfortable doing that but but I am and and I certainly feel like it's very important that we kind of just at least acknowledge that there is a mythicism around motherhood which is not accurate and not fair and is setting us all up for failure because then we're all just in our houses with our kids thinking that no one else is feeling the way that we're feeling and that we must be a failure and we must be doing it wrong so I think yeah acknowledging that it's hard is crucial so um as parents moms we're often winging it right but is there anything that Sam has taught you that maybe you didn't know before even if it's something he's taught you about yourself um oh god that's such a hard question why is nothing coming to my brain (laughs) I feel like I mean yes definitely uh he has he has certainly taught me to be more patient um I think I probably it's a different kind of love than any kind of love I've really experienced before it definitely um has kind of stoked memories of the relationship that I had with my mom before we were separated mm. um so I think it's been nice to to learn that I am capable of that maybe in a way I did I wasn't 100% sure what would happen um but yeah he's definitely taught me that I have it in me to to have that kind of you know unconditional love I suppose and in terms of how you view your mom now looking back and I so get it I think about my own childhood so much more now than ever before are you harder on her or kinder on her now that you look back and go okay harder are you yeah 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 um I just went back to therapy recently because well I'm I just haven't processed really any of the stuff that's happened in the last few years but that's what you say because you, you compartmentalize yeah, and you're I do. so practical yeah 100 percent. I just put things in the wardrobe of my brain and then I'm like oh, I'll come back to that sometime so I'm having I'm coming back to stuff right now but that's one of the things that we've been kind of talking about mm. is definitely I think when you have when you have a child that makes you think about your own relationship I mean certainly I remember the very early days when you are literally spending all of your time tending to their every need just thinking god it's just so crazy to think of someone taking care of me in this way and I definitely was taken care of in that way um but then to think of how badly it all went off the rails um you know I I am extremely sympathetic toward people who experience addiction and I 100% believe that she made the best decisions that she could at the time um in the context of her addiction I you know and if she had been in her right mind there's no way that what happened happened you know she wasn't in her right mind um but I know that rationally but emotionally mm-hmm. I do find myself feeling um you know some resentment for sure so yeah working on processing that now mm. Um, if you were to talk to the Louise in the early weeks of having just had Sam, what would you tell her? Oh God, I would just say, forgive yourself, forgive yourself. Like, you know, you were doing so well. He's alive. Like, I remember I found this thing in, um, you know, the, uh, I think it's the what to expect in the first year. Yes. At the very back, there is a section where people are asking questions and the, the people who wrote the book are responding. And I, I actually posted it on my Instagram. I wish I wish I had read it in the early days, although maybe I wouldn't have been receptive to it. Um, and the question was like, I my friend it, it doesn't care about schedules and she doesn't care about um, making sure that the baby eats this or making sure that the baby eats that. And she, you know, she she just goes out and she lives her life and there's no, you know, there's no routine. And whereas I'm really fastidious about routine, blah, blah, blah. And she said, you know, who's right? And um, the response was like, you're both right. You know, if your baby is 
happy and surviving and like you know sleeping and laughing and smiling and you know responding in healthy ways then what you're doing is working like your baby will tell you if something is wrong and if your baby's not telling you that something's wrong then everything's okay Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing but I feel like that I wish I'd I wish I'd gotten that idea sooner Mm. I would love to tell that Louise yeah to just chill out a little bit Mm. like you're doing fine everything's fine relax yeah you know you're not I felt quite alone, I think, and I didn't um, feel really, I didn't, ha- I didn't feel that I could ask people if, if what, I, what was happening was normal, um, so yeah, I just relied really heavily on Google, which I don't think is a great, is a great thing, um, so yeah, I think I just wish I'd gone easier on myself, yeah. And lastly, being a mum has made me dot dot dot. Busy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, being a mom has made me so busy. Um, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't even, that's funny. I, that's enough. Busy yeah, is enough. I feel like I need to think about that. Um, yeah, it's made me really busy. Um, but it's made me grow as well. Like, I feel like if I do it again, it's going to be a very different experience. Um, and that's really exciting. Mm. It's a, it is the total cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true that nothing can prepare you for that first kid. Nothing. Forget about yeah, it. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. It's funny now, I find like, you know, I have, I can't remember who it was, but one of my friends recently was talking about, oh, I know who it was. A friend of mine was talking about when she had the baby, you know, she was hoping to do this or she was hoping that this would happen or this was the plan. And I was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> And you know, in your head, you're, you you kind of want to go. That's not going to happen. Like, you know, that's not going to work. Like, that's not how it goes. I but I was like, you can't do that. No, you, you know? can't. She it's has not to fair figure to that them. out for herself. No. So you need to just keep quiet and yeah. support her and let her figure it out yeah. for herself. Yeah, totally. But the I do labor, find that hard. Labor's fine. It is fine. Yeah. No, and it is. It is for any mom's about to give birth. It is fine, and you will be fine. It is though. I mean, like. Everyone has a war story. Yeah, well. exactly. And like mine was really hard and I'm still willing to do it again. Exactly. So I can't have been that bad. Or I just have to <laughs> No, I think it, I think it, it is fine. Louise, I've loved talking to you. Oh my God, I want to be best friends. How do I make this happen? <laughs> no problem. <laughs> we just meet up. That's how it works.